Welcome to the Real Life Theology Podcast. Whether it's your first time listening in or you've been listening to 10, 20, or 30, or 100 episodes, we're just excited that you're here and we have some great content in this season six that is from our 2023 national gathering that we're rolling out. In this episode, Joseph Steiner, who works for TCM International, discusses disciple-making in a hostile world. Joseph is a director of missiology and disciple-making. In this session, Joseph teaches on the state of discipleship in the world. He focuses on areas like the countries of Ukraine, Hungary, and Georgia. Joseph has a good amount of international experience, and so he brings that to the table in not just discussing what disciple-making in a hostile world looks like in America, but globally. Let's go ahead and check out what he has to say and tune in together now. Let me introduce myself with a few sentences. You can see a picture of my family here. My name is Joseph Steiner. Um, I'm a native Hungarian. And I think in a few minutes you will meet my wife as well because she's here with me. You can see our two grown-up kids, Rachel and and David. We live in in Budapest, uh, which is the capital city of Hungary. Um, And I'm an ordained pastor. As a matter of fact, my ordination happened back in 97, 1997, near here in St. Joseph, Michigan, in the Restoration Movement, which is uh, in a Church of God congregation in St. Joseph. Um, after serving here a few months only, um, we moved back to Hungary, which was relatively uh, newly experiencing religious freedoms. We see, so we started to plant congregations, as well as we served in some older congregations um, um, beside that, because it's a shortage of um, evangelical pastors and ministers, many of us have multiple churches most of the time, which is not very ideal. You cannot focus on one, but this is the case over there. Also, I worked with the Evangelical Baptist Union in Hungary um, and served on um, on nationwide scale as well in the national leadership, um, especially uh, being responsible for the missions work uh, in the Christian schools nationwide under the leadership of the union, as well as the social institutions and all kinds of different units on the mission field as a national uh, missions uh, director. I started with TCM back in um, uh, 2007. Um, I did my master's degree um, uh, with TCM and from 2010, um, I'm serving together with TCM. I'm on staff in different capacities as well as in different ministry positions. So it's a interesting life career what I had because I started as an electrical engineer right after the government change. After 50 years of communism, I was in the business life in downtown Budapest. Then um, for one year, I was in the military as a military technical engineer. And then the Lord called me to be in the ministry. So this is how it all started. And lately I'm serving as the professor of missiology and disciple-making as well as the director of um, uh, disciple-making trainings in many, many countries where TCM is involved in Africa, in Asia, in the U.S., as well as many, many uh, countries of Europe. Just one more picture for the introduction. This is my my congregation. Um, I'm the senior pastor. However, I'm very much part-time over there so I have um, other colleagues who are doing the preaching and teaching and the leadership in the church many, many times per year uh, during my, my travels. After the introduction, let me introduce really the subject. So it's disciple-making in a hostile world. 
And then when I talk about that, I would raise a question and try to find answers that how to stand firm in North America. Now, that's the general uh, subject or the general question uh, for this convention. And I wouldn't talk too much about that because you know it much better. I would say it's also a very important question how to stand firm in other countries and in other continents where the world is, is hostile and very hostile to Christianity. Um, let me show you the list I will try to go through quickly. I would have four categories, basically. Um, in a few sentences, I will tell about the countries where the Christians are persecuted by other religions. So host hostility, hostility um, can be experienced by persecution in those countries. Then the second category would be totalitarian governments. I will give a few examples. Then countries in war. Um, I will talk about especially Ukraine um, um, recent time. And then number four, societies with advanced secularism, materialism, and individualism. Um, let's see. Let's look at the first one. So countries where Christians are persecuted by other religions. When we say persecution or Christian persecution, I think the very first coming to our mind is the Muslim countries where um, the extreme Islamists are persecuting the Christians. And that's very true. Um, uh, in behalf of TCM, I go to many, many Muslim countries. We have students in Muslim countries and other places when, where uh, master program is not possible. We have the more informal kind of like non-academic disciple-making trainings for people, just about anybody from churches who would like to grow in their own discipleship as well as understanding how to make disciples uh, for Jesus. But not only Muslim countries, there are countries with other world religions where Christian uh, persecution can be experienced, like Hinduism uh, in India, even Buddhism. It's very interesting because I've always heard in my country in the last decades that Buddhism is very peaceful. They are the most peaceful people. Now, I have been twice in Sri Lanka, and I could tell the stories how the Buddhists are gathering together and beating up the Christians with metal bars and sticks and all kinds of stuff. So, so, so think, about, um, think about these other examples beside the Muslim uh, persecution. In Africa, I just mentioned one example. Um, we have started our ministry, TCM started um, its ministry in Kenya a couple of years ago. Now, Kenya is a very interesting country. I think it's maybe the only, I'm not quite sure, but maybe the only country where Christianity um, is basically the majority uh, uh, of the people are Christians there, like 62%, and the minority of 7%. There are more Muslims, I think, a little bit more, not much more, but 7% belonging to Al-Shabaab terror organization, which is connected to Al-Qaeda. And these 7% minority are persecuting the 62% majority uh, Christians. Um, and recent time, if you read the articles like in Christianity Today or in, in other periodicals or special specialized missions newspaper, you know that what's happening this year, again, in different regions in India. The persecution is, is, um, is getting stronger and stronger, again, over there. 
another example from this category is Central Asia. These are the so-called Stan countries like Kyrgyzstan, Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan. We call them the Stan countries. I call these countries where you can experience the crazy mix, mixture, post-communist Islamic countries. And I have a question mark uh, um, following the word post because I think these are still communist countries. Officially, there was the government change, but they still have KGB. Um, only once in my life, I was um, investigated or interrogated by a KGB agent, and it was not a pleasant experience, and it was in one of the Stan, Stan countries. In Russia, at least, they, they renamed it, so it's, uh, it has a different name. Same headquarters, same everything, but in these countries, they still have the words here on, on copper letters, KGB, which is KGB with English pronunciation. Um, just one picture, they have Lenin and all of, the, uh, all of the communist heroes everywhere. This is just one picture. I could show you like hundreds. It's everywhere. In my country, um, in, in many countries in Central, Central Eastern Europe, where communism ruled for 50 years, these are for, forbidden symbols, forbidden statues. You could be jailed if you have like the communist red star on you. Is the same bad as the swastika for the Nazis. So we have only museums for this kind of symbols and statues. Only in the museums you can look at them and their description and everything. But you cannot have these statues because we know exactly and we can prove you. We have living proofs like my grandpa and so many others that communism was as extreme, as, as evil as Nazism. So it's just the two ends of the philosophy but in their means and in their terms, you know, they, they, are the same, um, they are the same, really. Talking about Central Asia, you can see um, um, a room full of uh, high school students. This is one of our TCM's disciple-making training. Um, one, one guy here, this is a TCM graduate. So he invited me there to have this training for these high schoolers. Now, we needed to go to the suburb out where there are scattered homes only. In downtown, we couldn't do that, and we needed to close all of the windows and everything. And even when we did sing a song, we needed to kind of like whisper the song because it's a Muslim, it's a Muslim society, Muslim country. And again, interestingly, it's almost like schizophrenic. The KGB, the former communist KGB, now serving a Muslim government and persecuting the Christians over there. So Uzbekistan is even uh, more difficult, so I do not show pictures about the Uzbek people because that would be even more sensitive content. Here's another picture I, I, I returned, and now here are Uzbeks as well, but in Kyrgyzstan. It's easier for them to come there, and it's, I would say, not easier, but safer for, um, for them to get educated on, on Christian missions. Um, the second category would be uh, not the Muslim countries or where other world religions are persecuting the Christians, but totalitarian governments, basically where dictators rule over the people. Now, before the big uh, government change in the Soviet countries, I would say that like communism is a very strong example of these kind of things, but it's not the only. Um, um, 
when I say communism or socialism, it's almost, almost identical. We know a lot about this. I was growing up during communism or socialism, during that communist regime. And if you are interested, maybe during the Q&A time, you can ask questions about that, how could the Christians function or things like that. Now I do not have much time for that. Um, so in our countries, um, in, in the former socialist bloc, we are not very much surprised uh, by the hostile behavior of governments and, and superpowers, so we, we have learned a lot about that. But my recent examples would be from Belarus. Now, on that picture, it's intentionally blur. One of our graduates of TCM, he's from the capital city uh, of Belarus, Minsk. Um, he explained it to me that the totalitarian government didn't let any new church being registered in the last 30 years. Now, without registration, you are basically illegal. So the secret agents who are going around everywhere and investigating and try to find the Christians, they can really get you and imprison you. So the only way is to register your church. But in the last 30 years, nobody registered any church. It's because of, because of their dictator. Lukashenko is, is his name. Unfortunately, many times in these countries, like it's very true for Belarus, it's true for Russia, these totalitarian governments um, coming together and forming kind of like an alliance with the uh, so-called historical church or state church. They don't use this term, but earlier it was state church, like the Orthodox Church. So, so the Orthodox believers and, and bishops are, are serving the government. The government is helping them. And everybody is basically against the evangelical Christians. I've been um, quite a few times in Minsk, which is the capital city of Belarus. Now, I'm Hungarian, and the Russian word for it is Vengerski. Vengria, they call Hungary, my country. So many times at the border. And there is always secret agents when Westerners are coming. And I'm considered to be a Westerner, <laughs> comparing to Belarus. They would call me always Amerikanski, which is a Russian word of American. I said, no, no, I'm Wengerski. Uh, so I, I have basic Russian. I, I could introduce myself. I could explain. They say, no, if you are evangelical, even if you are Baptist, you are an agent of America. Now, even the Roman Catholics are persecuted in, in Belarus because they are agents of Rome, basically the European Union. So everything is very much political, and these superpowers play this game all of the time. We have, um, we have um, several students in Russia, in Ukraine too, but Russia too. And uh, this is what I hear all of the time from my students. Before the war, I, I did teach there uh, several times. During the war, Zoom is a good solution still. They tell us that it's not really persecution for the evangelical Christians, but, but it's a kind of like harassment. It's oppression and, and putting all kinds, of, all kinds of railings around them. Um, one example, one of my students, wonderful young man, he leads a church of 500 people, which is a very, very good size uh, in Siberia. Um, he told me that the government did find a YouTube video of the church about a summer camp. It was five years ago. But they still pay fine for that because the government says and that 
did you have this kind of permission? They said, yes, we had that. What about the half? Yeah, we had that. What about this? And then the list is very, very long, and they could find something, and then they would say it's $1,000 equivalent of money in ruble, you know, Russian ruble. And then next week, they would call again. They would come. They would check the, the church you know, or something, and there is a problem. There is a problem. So they always pay the fines, always pay the fines, as well as the government, again, together with the Orthodox Church, they try to poison the minds of the people against the evangelical Christianity. They would say that these are Western agents, you know, if you are a Baptist, if you are a Pentecost, that's, that's American. If you are Roman Catholic, you know, or if you are Reformed, now you are European Union agents. And so they try to keep the society very, very far from the evangelical Christianity. So that's, that's also a kind of hostility, of course. And North Korea, you know a lot about that. This is just a recent picture from my friend. He's a... Russian pastor, he's brave enough to speak against the government many times on Facebook. He has access to Facebook, not everybody, but he solved it somehow. There are very high-quality hackers in Russia as well, so they can do it. He's posting on this um, about against the war. So this is the church, uh, I think the translation would be like the light of the gospel church in Druskov city. And this is just, you know, this got bombed, but they accidentally not hit the church building. I have some other pictures as well, again, more, more sensitive. So that would be my third category, that it's a hostile environment for Christianity, but there is war. It's, it's very, very difficult to serve, not only because of the, the present danger, not only because of the, the military operations, but anything what you say is, again, political, and Christians, again, can be viewed as kind of like that, Enemies of the enemies of the of the state. During this war, we have um, we have had several mission trips to Ukraine. This picture, this is my pastoral apprentice as well as an interpreter um, in TCM. Barnabas is his name. Right before this trip, um, we went to Ukraine. My wife, Barnabas, and then we always have local support. Without local knowledge, you couldn't go anywhere. Um, and then we deliver aid many, many times uh, because there are so generous individuals in the States and supporting churches who are sending funds for TCM for this purpose. And we have the contacts. I, I know so many pastors, churches, and also not only pastors and Christians, but just individuals and families in Ukraine. We are delivering aid many, many times. Um, it's uh, kind of like... Strictly forbidden to take pictures of the military operation, but, you know, I cannot resist, so <laughs> I took some. <laughs> lots of, lots of checkpoints at each and every, each and every corner. This, um, it says, it's Hungarian language here because a big part of Ukraine is Hungarian-speaking. It's a neighboring country. This would say evangelistic and disciple-making training or something. Uh, this happened three weeks before the war. Uh, I think it was by the Holy Spirit because, because then during the war, I haven't had any disciple making training, although we had several, several trips there, but it's aid oriented. So this um, few weeks ago, right before this trip, when we went to the city of Odessa, we met a pastor who was a new, new friend for me, a new contact, and now he invited me back to, to lead a disciple making training because their church, which used to be 1,000 
200 people. Now it's only 400 because most of the people escaped and and uh, went to West Europe, some to the U.S. So the church is only one third, but they are serving the entire city. Um, um, why? Others also could serve the city, but they do not have hope. The hope could be found in the church, in the Christian church. So they are serving kind of like a like a hub for all of the aid operation. I delivered lots of aid for them, but he says, oh, but that's not it. We also need evangelistic and disciple-making training because now we have the big, big possibility. So I'm not saying that there is a revival in Ukraine right now, but I would say that people are extremely open. Still, the churches got shrinked because they, they lost many families escaped to other countries, but people are very open now. So you can start conversations anywhere. You can pray for people. They would accept it, uh, no matter what is their religion or something. Now it's a nominal Christian country, so everybody would be probably Christian in a nominal way, most of the time, Orthodox people. All right, uh, point number four, or category number four, societies with advanced secularism, materialism, liberalism, and individualism. Um, that would be the fourth uh, category, uh, which is also hostile to Christianity. Um, and uh, my examples would be the European Union, especially West Europe. So you can see these are some documents, what they are you know, creating and crafting, and LGBTQ is very strong, and so many other stuff. But Christianity, evangelical Christianity, cannot accept, so then the EU would go against those people. Abortion and so many other issues. I don't want to get very deep into this. Um, and of course, I wanted to be polite, and I said several states and areas in the United States of America. I think it's polite enough. As David Young said uh, an hour ago or so, the 250 years of vacation is ending. This is what he said an hour ago. So the worldwide Christian church has been experiencing Opposition, oppression, and persecution uh, in the last 2000, 2,000 years. Now it's coming to the countries where it was not it, it hasn't been experienced yet. So I think that's why we have this uh, convention here. Okay, let's go to the second half um, of this presentation. And I would like to save some time for the questions, answers, just a good dialogue. How to proclaim the gospel and how to make disciples. I have, uh, I have six points here. One is be strong in your identity. We have got a new life and we shouldn't back up in any way. I don't know if you know that song. It's written by Sundar Singh, who was a famous evangelist in India. The song goes like this, that I have decided to follow Jesus. And in the refrain it says, no turning back, no turning back. Point number two, build personal relationships. Now, in many countries, mission couldn't be accomplished by organizations. Missions cannot be accomplished by churches because of the nature of that country and, and, the, and the society and the entire situation. But things still can be accomplished on a personal level. So building personal relationships, it's uh, especially important. Point number three, incarnate the gospel. So make it culturally relevant for the people, um, for the different people groups. 
And I think this is how TCM can be a very strong help for many of you who are pastors or, or elders or just enthusiastic and committed church members in your churches because we have the local knowledge. We have, we have the very wide network. Uh, all of our graduates and students, it's nearly 3,000 people who are lay pastors, church planters, elders, youth leaders. Um, there is a high chance that you name the country and we, we, we can tell you who are the people there. Many places it's national leaders or just, or just people in different congregations. So um, it's very, very important to incarnate the gospel because the different people groups, different ethnicities and nationalities have their own way of thinking, circumstances, challenges, etc. Point number four, live a holy life and be attractive this way. So I, I don't buy the idea that we need to um, give up the committed Christian lifestyle in order to be attractive. I think we don't need to give it up. I think we shouldn't give it up. I think we must not give it up. Just, just live a holy life. A holy lifestyle is always attractive. I have had very, very interesting for me. It was eye-opening. Um, these were eye-opening discussions with Muslims in different countries. And they told me so many times that the things what they hate in West Europe and in the USA is not that it's Christianity and we are Muslims, but how worldly those countries are, they said. And we would like to punish them because they use the same God's name. I mean, we don't say Allah, but they, they think it's the same God. This is what they say. And then, and then we are not bringing glory to this name in the U.S. and in West Europe. So, so many of them very, very angry because of that. The holy lifestyle of Christians is even attractive for a Muslim. And most of them who come to Jesus, they are coming to Jesus either by miracles, what they experience, supernatural guidance from the Lord, or by watching some Christians who are authentic and live a holy lifestyle. So I think this is also a very important point. Point number five, make disciples and especially make disciple makers, not only disciples. I think this is the way to go and this is our strategy at TCM as well as during my ministry of disciple-making trainings. We are not only making disciples, but I try to train the trainers, um, being, being, being the trainer of the coaches who are making disciples uh, during our educational ministry as well and during our missions. And point number six, be dependent on God. Um, Jesus Christ says, without me, you cannot do anything. And I think we need to take this very seriously. Depending on God is just better than any human strategy, what we can pull together. Our strategies are okay. I'm a strategist as well, so we can have good missions plans. But everything only follows the dependence um, on, on the Lord. And finally, I'm talking about, especially this point number five, making disciple makers. I think here is the basic question or the defining question for this. How to equip Christians for serving in a hostile world? And uh, here is the answer. The answer would be that we need to overcome the structural weakness. This is what we call in our countries the one-man show. Now, during communism or the Eastern European communism, here was the principle what the governments used. Beat the pastor and the flock scatters. 
So basically what they did, they executed, in some countries they executed the pastors or the, the main elder. Many, many churches, they didn't have any pastor, but there was a, an elder, a layman, who was the ultimate and the only leader of the congregation. They executed those. In other countries, no execution, but they were imprisoning those, those, those people. Or in other countries, they were putting pressure on the, on the person, and the entire church was paralyzed. Because our people in our churches, they were not equipped. And nobody really believed that I can be an instrument in, in God's hand. Everybody says that, oh, our pastor is the instrument in God's hand. I cannot be that. So I, I just follow the pastor. But then the government removed the number one leader. The church got paralyzed. Now they stayed very committed. They were extremely faithful people. They just couldn't do anything. They just couldn't fulfill the mission. They lived their life, believed in Jesus. They, they persevered. Uh, they raised their kids in faith. But that's it. They, they had no idea, no possibilities and means to, to reach out for, for more people. So that's why making disciple makers, it's the, uh, it has the key importance. Of course, the answer is in 2 Timothy uh, 2.2. Can anybody quote it by, by heart? Do you know it by heart? Yes, brother, please. Okay, okay. Wonderful. How many generations of Christians are mentioned here in this, in this second? Yeah. Some says three, but it's four, basically. There is Paul, and there is Timothy, and of course others as well. This is just one example. And there are the faithful men who are able to teach others. And probably this chain continues. So it's, four is mentioned, but it's, it's, it's bottomless, you know. So it, it goes, goes um, far. I think this shows us how important it is to become spiritual grandfathers and grandmothers. During my trainings, I, I use this, uh, this example, uh, picture of a chain, and many times I have the chain uh, with me uh, as well. And I would say that listeners, attenders, brothers and sisters, you are right there, that, that golden piece, right there. That's who you are, I'm sorry. My, my screen is too close here, that, that one. So that's you. You are the golden piece. What else you would be? You are golden, yes? So are you in discipleship? Are you in disciple making? Only if you can name at least one person above you, not, not hierarchically, but spiritually, at least one person above you. And many times it's not one person. For many of us, it's several, because maybe our father, maybe our mother, and our pastor, and different pastors, because pastors moving and pastors die or things happening, but at least you need to be able to name one person above you, as well as minimum one person under you, not hierarchically, but spiritually. And for many years, this was my understanding about disciple-making. It's, it's very good, but it's limited. So what I did, I distributed always these three pieces of chain, and I said, put it on your keychain. But nowadays, I don't do that. I do four pieces of chain. And I would say that, think about that piece of chain as well. So some people invested spiritually, energy-wise, time-wise, into your life. 
Now be sure that you do the same with at least one person, probably more, in a way that that person will be able to do it in the future as well. So it's four pieces always. Now what I, what I, what I tell my elders in my church is that, okay, go to the hardware store and bring me like 150 pieces of chain, I would say, but four pieces, not three anymore. He says, why? We used to use the three. No, 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 four. Bring the four because this is a good illustration about not only making disciples, but making disciple makers. And uh, yeah, so that's the chain. Here is an example, some pictures. This is from Georgia. I mean the country of Georgia. Not, not the state of Georgia. So these are Georgians. Our leader there, Georgie from Georgia. <laughs> David and others know him. Many people are called Georgie in Georgia, but doesn't matter. So these are the students. Now, now look at this. Here is my example. His name is Tornike. Tornike, it's a, um, it's a Georgian name. He's a son of a bishop, an evangelical bishop of a huge church. The church is very good, going very well. Now, Tornike became my disciple, my personal disciple as well, but first a student in the disciple-making class. And he was, he was very kind and very honest, and he shared it to me that, um, uh, Joseph, I don't believe that I can lead anybody to Jesus or I can make a disciple. I said, why is that? In my understanding, you are coming from an extremely good church. I heard from the other student that your father is a so committed, great, great Christian man and the servant of the Lord and raised you very well. He says, it's all true, all true. But I, I always, I witnessed my father doing all of these things. And the other leaders in the church, I was raised up there. I, I cherished everything. I, I embraced the idea and everything. But I think it's not, it's not for me. I said, okay, uh, we need to pray for you. So I arrived on, on Saturday. I already met the students. And then Sunday, we went to the church. Now, it's very humble churches. Look, look, at, look at the building. That's, that's one of a church in the capital city. Now, Georgie, the leader, is my interpreter. And Sunday, we needed to get on our knees to pray all for all of the students. I, I told the entire congregation that let's do not only concentrate on ourselves during this worship service, what's happening with us, how the Holy Spirit moves between us, but tomorrow morning for five days, uh, we, try, we start this, this master, master's level course on disciple making. And I, I want things happening uh, during that course. And then Monday we, we started it. Here you go. So here is the here is the little class. Some older older pastors, some young ones, and ladies as well who are leading uh, ladies groups, uh, personal disciple making groups. Here is Tornica. I was watching very very carefully. I really love these Georgian people. They are very creative. I said, could I take photos of your notes? How they take notes? Look at that. The writing is nice, but you know they are so creative. Even. The men are making their name text like this. It's a man's name. So this is how they put their name on the on the you know on that little label or something. And then and then like six months later I went back. Now this time for a not for a master's course, but for what we call the disciple making training. It's open for anybody. Simple people can come. Even with just elementary school graduation. And then the picture is not the best because we are missing some people, but I met Tornike. He was smiling this time. <laughs> and then he said that, okay, Joseph, I raised two disciples in six months. Or he started it. It was not finished. 
One is a girl. It's not girlfriend. So one was a girl, and the other one was the boyfriend of her, who's not on the picture, unfortunately. And I said, oh, well done, wonderful. I'm so happy. This is all about this stuff. I'm so happy. Praise the Lord. And then Georgie invited me back for an advanced disciple-making training a year later. Now look at the picture. On a year later, you can see here Tornica. The first, that's the girl from the previous picture, her boyfriend, and their disciple, another couple. So this is the chain. By the way, during that event, we had a larger group. So here is Tornik and his disciples, but others as well. Here is Georgie and others who started the personal, relational, disciple-making ministry. It's all about this chain. Praise the Lord for that. So what, what do I concentrate uh, on the trainings? One is how to become a disciple of Jesus. And the second is how to make disciples. And for my theology of this ministry, um, the biblical base, the biblical mandatory could be found in Mark chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. Jesus, he appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. Um, this passage has key importance for this ministry, I think. Because you can find the answer here. Why did Jesus choose disciples? Why he decided to do so and not doing everything manually by himself? Why he needed, I don't know if it's a good word, he needed anything or not, or anybody or not, but Basically, why he needed, why he wanted to have disciples. Now, if you do a very quick exegesis, very quick exegesis on these two Bible verses, you can recognize that there is a primary purpose and there are two secondary purposes here. Jesus appointed the twelve so they might be with him. And that. So they might be with him. That's the primary purpose. And there are two secondary purposes. So Jesus could send them out to preach, as well as to casting out demons from people. Now listen, brothers and sisters. Uh, my thesis is that this is very relevant and very true for our ministry as well. There is a primary purpose, which is above all. Jesus did choose you, selected you, elected you, and called you, so you, you might spend time with him. Be with him. That's the primary purpose. If that's done, then the secondary purposes, which I called derived purposes, because these, these are derived from the purpose number one, can happen. And it's my purpose, and these two, my purposes and your purposes too, that you can preach. Now, you say, oh, I don't preach. Proclaim the word of God. Some are called to preach from pulpits. Some are called here to give their testimonies in the church from the stage. Others proclaiming the gospel in the neighborhood, in your marriages, for your kids, workplace, to the, for the classmates, etc., etc. And also the second secondary purpose, driving out demons. Now you can say, wow, I do not have the spiritual charisma of exorcism. But still, here we are on this earth to help people to be freed from their demons. 
when you counsel them, when you pray for them, when you, when you just hug them, you are, you, are, you are escorting them on their Christian way. This is what you do. You are, you are helping those persons to be free from their demons. So basically, to preach the word and helping people. Words and deeds. This, these are our purposes, but only secondary purposes. The primary purpose is to be with Jesus. And if the primary purpose is reached, we are spending time with Jesus. Then the two secondaries, I wouldn't say automatically will happen. I would say as a natural overflow, you can reach those goals or, or purposes. Because Jesus is transforming you. You are growing in your discipleship. And naturally, as a natural overflow, you are able to make disciples, especially disciple makers. One is that you encourage this from the first point. So, so I would tell them many times, and this is what I learned in, in TCM and from TCM, that during the first meeting, I would say, I can come back. I can invest my life or a part of my life into you. I can be far from my church. Uh, I can be far from my family. I'm taking these dangerous roads and everything and the cost and everything. But it's very valuable. You need to understand it's valuable. I'm expecting you do the same thing. And then, um, so I start with this. It's, somehow it's built into this concept. But then, it, depending on how I do it, maybe it's an intensive thing. It's just one week or like a three days training or something. But of course, I have disciples, personal, relational disciples who are on the long term, especially back in my country and nearby countries, who are who I deal with for a year or two years, then when we are reaching the end of the term, I would say it again, that, okay, uh, I would repeat like that, that I have invested all of these evenings, like, you know, every second Wednesday evening for two years. That's, that's 52 Wednesday evenings. I didn't do my hobby. I didn't go to the gym. I, I was not with my family, my wife and kids, and et cetera, et cetera. So it's valuable. So you need to pay for this. They were like, what? <laughs> yeah, you owe me. You need, you need to pay for this. And the payment is that you continue. You do the same thing. And of course, you, you teach about this concept from Second Timothy 2.2 and many other places. It's not only there. It's very clear over there. And uh, I, I face the biggest challenge. The biggest challenge, I think, what I see... Uh, especially in the former communist countries, but not only there, other, other areas as well, that they are not very confident to do that. So I wouldn't say they are lazy. They would like to, but they are afraid. So many would, would tell me that, thank you, Joseph, for inviting me. I, yes, I can do this program. I can be your disciple or something like that. But me, I, I won't do it in the future. Uh, no, I'm not able. You know, I'm, not a, I'm not a pastor. I'm not a preacher. I'm not a nothing. And then, so lots is depending on the encouragement and the explanation. One of the first questions that what material I would use, what would be the curriculum? And many, many times I say, of course, I can tell you, I can give you some ideas, but it's not about that. If there, is, if there are two Christians together, one is a little bit more committed or more matured, the other one is less matured, discipleship will happen, will happen. Not only if they are praying together or reading the Bible, they can do anything. They can go out fishing. They can go out motorbiking, what I do many times. Disciple-making will, will happen. So the curriculum, 
is not that big deal. It's the availability, it's the faithfulness, and being determined that I would like to pass on what I received. Um, I, I overcome my fears and, and weaknesses. I value that somebody invested so much into my life. I shouldn't be so selfish. So, so big part of my trainings is motivation, not only methodology. Thanks for joining us today on our podcast. We just invite you to come back. Check it out next week. We got another great track session for you then. Hello, listener. Thank you for tuning into a Renew.org podcast. We want to invite you to join us this April in Indianapolis for our 2024 gathering, Courageous Renewal. We will feature speakers such as Anthony Walker, Tina Wilson, Bobby Harrington, Jonathan Storman, and so much more. Secure your spot now at renew.org slash events. That is renew.org slash events. Hope to see you there.